here we are just a week away from the Christmas break. And I think what's going to factor into this episode of the OHL podcast and what we discuss is that there hasn't been a frenzy of trades as we head into the Christmas break. Unless, of course, more teams want to get off our Christmas card list and do a flurry in the next four days. Dan Mahar over there. Find him on Twitter at Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. And of course, Dan, with saying what I just said, there hasn't been a frenzy of trades just yet. There is one to talk about. And I mean, is Rob Papano listening to the podcast? We talked last week about the Sudbury Wolves, the Darlings of the East, 5-5-1 five, five and one in November. And you're thinking, eh, you know, maybe they want to start tweaking something. Boom. Where do they go to make a deal? Where everybody goes to make a deal in this league with the Niagara Ice Dogs and Marcus Vandenberg is now a wolf. Yeah, I think Niagara's like Costco to the other GMs, Mike. Whenever they need uh, a supply of something, they just they just go check the shelves there. It's usually stocked with something they're willing to move. So, but yeah, uh, interesting trade uh, when you when you see it on the surface. Marcus Vandenberg, terrific nineteen year old goaltender, probably wanted a few more reps than he was getting in Niagara, uh, where Flores has kind of taken uh, taken over the crease to some degree. Now Vandenberg's been really hot of late, and I think uh, there were probably a few teams saying, you know, if we're looking to shore up our goaltending, we might want to pounce on this while it's still there. And but from the surface, Mike, it might look like with Sudbury suggesting they weren't getting enough saves previously, and that's that's one of the issues. So obviously, uh, Papano jumped on this offer when it's there and uh, shored that up. I think it makes some sense from Niagara's perspective to trade when the commodity is at its hottest, but some are raising eyebrows around the return. And this is what we do as armchair general managers. So Marcus Vandenberg acquired by Niagara back in the summer for Gabriel Runco, a second and a fifth. Runco's not in the league, but the second and the fifth go to Kitchener. In exchange for moving Vandenberg to Sudbury, the ice dogs get back a pair of thirds to me i'm looking at that as basically a wash here but what's your take on the return yeah exactly that mike i would call it a wash i I had a few people reach out to me and say the same thing well they gave up a second and fifth only got two thirds i mean in in ohl draft capital that's almost identical i'm you're looking at two thirds as equivalent to second and fifthness they'll still ask well then why are they giving this player up just a few months later for basically the same price well things change in a few months and and i think the emergence of Flores, which we just talked about, helps. Um, you may have had a player in Vandenberg. I'm just speculating here, uh, but you may have had a player who was looking for an opportunity to play a little more. Uh, a few things come into play, but all things considered, the price doesn't concern me a whole lot. I think two thirds for a, a 19 year old goaltender with uh, with Marcus Vandenberg's track record seems seems fair. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And and what I find kind of interesting, I guess it shows where these respective teams are kind of at with their cycle towards building to a championship or this particular season. Sudbury, as we've talked about really since the beginning of this season with the darlings of the East, want to make sure they're as good as can be in goal. I wouldn't say they were bad in any way, but maybe an area where you think you could shore up. And if you have aspirations of a championship, can you ever really have too much goaltending? On the other hand, it does, like, nothing against Owen Flores. I think he's fine, but boy, oh boy, it gets real thin in Niagara's crease after that. And here's the team that we've been talking about being involved in all these one and two goal games when a save 
is the difference between winning and losing. If Flores isn't in the game for that particular uh, game, or if heaven forbid he gets injured, oh boy, it's it's a real tough spot for an organization that's still struggling despite being competitive in two thirds of their games this year. Yeah, and I think there's an all new element to it, Mike, when it happens at this point in the season because you look basically a month out from the trade deadline now. Uh, Nagra's gone through uh, enough of their cards already. So suddenly when you look for an emergency situation, knock on wood, we hope Juan Flores does stay healthy. But if there were to be an issue there, heck, even with a good number one, you know in this league with the schedule, Mike, you need a backup that's going to play a fair bit anyway. So it does put your team, it exposes your team. That's a team that would desperately love to make the playoffs this year. This adds an element of exposure to them there. So you like to think they have a plan, um, but sometimes it, it's taken out of their hands by just a situation. I, th- I think when you look at Marcus Vandenberg and you look at his situation in Kitchener, what a great tandem it would be to have uh, Parsons and Vandenberg in the crease there. But it wasn't to be. It wasn't the best thing to do for the player, and maybe that's just all they're looking at in this case. But you're right; they're makes you a little nervous when you look what's left in the crease right there. So I alluded to this as we began this episode of the OHL podcast, and I'll just be blunt about it. We record this on Monday night. It comes out on Tuesday. You're listening to it right now. It's Tuesday. I hope you're having a great Tuesday, and thanks for listening to the OHL podcast. It's possible. And just as we began recording tonight, I said, I guess we'll do one more episode next week, wrap up kind of the pre-Christmas portion of the schedule, take a break over the holidays, and boom, we'll be back getting ready for the trade deadline. All of this is subject to change in the days ahead. But as of this moment, there hasn't been a flurry. And I think I think I kind of understand why, Dan. If I'm if if I'm a GM in this league, in pretty much any market, I'm having a heck of a time assessing what I'm really supposed to do with my team this year. In the East, right now, as we speak, four points. Four separate one through six in the conference. Ho-hum, Ottawa right back up there on top with 36 points. Sixth place team has 32. In the West, you've got Kitchener and the Sioux kind of creeping away from the pack. But then three through eight in the West separated by just six points. I don't know what I would do. I've had many conversations with people around this game. And we talk about what do you think this team's going to do? What do you think that team's going to do? And you can... You can come up with as many scenarios, I think, as Herbie Morell comes up with when he tries to put this OHL schedule together every year. Throw stuff at the wall. There are all kinds of possibilities out there. And and, and I'm thinking that's why it's going to be pretty quiet until the final few days before January the 10th. Yeah, you know, Mike, when there's a, an election on and people are having trouble making up their mind and you hear these stories of some people actually at the ballot box before they figure out who they're voting for, feels like that's OHL GMs this year when they're trying to figure out whether a buyer or seller. You might see some of them on January 8th saying, okay, I got to pick a lane here. Because I think you're absolutely right for a few reasons. One, like you just mentioned, a lot of them don't have the the clues or cues, we'll, we'll call them, leading up to the deadline that would tell them which lane they should be in. Normally there's a couple powerhouses saying, yeah, I don't think under any circumstances we have the asset capital to contend with them this year. Uh, sometimes you have that. Sometimes you have teams way down in the basement where you say, yeah, those teams are out of the race. We're going to make the playoffs no matter what. Therefore we're going to hold steady, not do too much. Those things aren't there. So you got to make your decisions based on other things. And 
I guarantee there's at least a couple GMs out there right now holding their cards close to their vest that say, oh, this is a huge opportunity. We've got a little bit of draft capital. We're right in the hunt. There's a player or two I'm eyeing. I don't want word to leak out, but I want to pounce at the last second and announce myself as a buyer because I think it's there for the taking this year. So I, I think we're going to have a potentially really exciting deadline or trade deadline right at the deadline but i think you're right i don't think we're going to see anything for the next couple of weeks especially when you factor in a couple of the injuries that are out there right now where teams are waiting to see where they're at with those players come early january so not, i think a lot's going to happen at the last minute not to mention world juniors of course which implements a freeze the christmas break etc but i'm start starting to wonder based on that dan because we seem to be of like mind on this if we won't see fewer deals overall but higher prices paid given the demand in the market, right? It's all about supply and demand. And if there are fewer parts and more teams interested in acquiring them, who's got the the greatest war chest here to go into the trade deadline? Yeah, and I think, so early suggestions are just based on some of the new rules around how far out you can trade picks or that prices have actually moderated a bit this year. They're They're not as high as we've seen. I think what you're likely to see, Mike, is that that trigger trade, right? Like the one that happens and then it unleashes a landslide of other ones because GMs often have plan, plans A, B, C, D, E lined up. They're waiting for that shoe to drop. One or two teams some, sometimes hold those cards. And once they play them, then everyone else kind of jumps in the water because they, they got to get in there before the time runs out. Um, so I'm... I, I'm not as confident of where the prices are going to be because sometimes if it gets late in the stages like that, GMs that are set on moving a player just say, well, you know, I got to get something here. So they, they take whatever price is available. So honestly, I think it could go either way, Mike, but until the sellers start announcing who they are, it, it's really unpredictable. We did, of course, see a nine draft pick trade for Pavel Minchikov a season ago and make no mistake because Dave Drinkle has told us as much from Saginaw the Saginaw spirit are not done dealing they've already been relatively active they intend on being active right up until January the 10th they want to go in the front door as we've talked about a lot as hosts of the Memorial Cup which also leads me to believe Dan that if there's going to be an arms race this year isn't it going to be in the East? Because all you got to do then is get to the dance and you punch your ticket. Assuming, of course, that Saginaw is going in that front door from the West, but presumably that comes to pass, then you're just punching your ticket in by simply making it to the OHL final on the Eastern side. It's, yeah, definitely a component you punch into the calculus for sure if you're in the East, because, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily the safest assumption that any team is winning any conference. So you, you, but you'd factor in what the odds are there. And certainly when you're in the East, you're looking at it and saying, well, there's a pretty darn good chance that after all said done at the trade deadline, Saginaw is going in the front door. Still probably, I don't know what you'd handicap that as fought 50% maybe, but a decent chance. And then in the East, yeah, you've just got to win that East. So you've got to win your, uh, your three uh, series is there. So that brings a whole new dynamic or perspective to the trade deadline. And you look at the standings right now, as you outlined, Mike, and you look how close it is. You look how one player could potentially put a number of those teams over the top. And you got to think, you got to start looking at those draft cupboards and say, ooh, this team has a lot of picks they're sitting on. Is this the team I should be looking at? It's going to be a lot of fun. And GMs are certainly going to be earning their paychecks in the weeks ahead. Because, again, I've talked over scenarios with a variety of teams, just, you know, shooting the breeze around the boards at the rink. And 
so many possibilities that I see for so many of these teams. And then you start wondering who's available. Well, yeah, but if that team is selling, right? So it it's going to be interesting. Uh, a few other things that kind of just kind of caught my attention o- over the past week. We talked about the Niagara Ice Dogs and all those one or two goal games they've been playing. Curiously, they trade Vandenberg. They haven't had a one or two goal game since, but I don't think that's any real connection to the Vandenberg trade. But 18 of their 29 games have been one or two goal games. The Guelph Storm I got to see up close and personal this weekend. And tell you what, they had some bad puck luck in that game against the Kitchener Rangers on Sunday where, you know, a pass is just a little bit off the mark. A a puck skips over a stick. A goaltender makes a tremendous save, whatever the case may be. This is the third lowest scoring team in the entire Ontario Hockey League this year, Dan. The Guelph Storm are with just 90 goals through 30 games. And how about this? 20 of their 30, so 67% of those games, the Guelph Storm have scored three goals or less. In eight of their past 10, they've scored three goals or less. If you want to know why the team's struggling and not running for the top of the division, I think that would be at least in part. I know they've been hit by injuries, et cetera. Bushinger being away at the World Juniors doesn't help the power play, blah, blah, blah. But averaging three goals a game, ain't going to cut it in the Ontario Hockey League. Well, yeah, and I'll be kind of the first to admit, Mike, the Gulf Storm aren't quite what I thought they were going to be on the ice. They're very close to what I thought they'd be in the standings right now, kind of hovering on the middle. With we, uh, We've addressed several times the potential for them to rocket up to the top if they get a... They're going to get the return of Cam Allen shortly. Uh, they're going to potentially get Matthew Potras back. We don't know. Um, that's still up in the air. But if those two pieces came back, look out. Those are the biggest two trade deadline acquisitions you'll see in the in the league this year. But I, I didn't think they'd have trouble scoring like they are, Mike. And I did not think that Braden Gillespie was going to be quite as strong as he has been. So they've kind of done it through different means than I expected, yet getting very similar results to what I expected. So they're a bit of an enigma for me, a bit of a puzzle. Um, they've run hot and cold at various times this year. And I think that they're, if you look at the GMs around the league, I think there's one that's desperately waiting for some answers to unfold here. He needs to know what he has going forward uh, before he decides. And I think he's desperately hoping he gets some of those answers by January 10th. Well, if he doesn't, you know that he'll create his own answers, if you will. George Burnett's never been shy about making trades. And listen, he's got a pretty good track record when it comes to getting what his team wants or needs and, and helping it no matter where it is in the cycle to get set then for the next go round. And good point on Gillespie. If not for Braden Gillespie's play, we could be talking about a much different season for the Guelph Storm. One other thing that jumped out at me, and I recognize that in saying this, uh, it could be, I could be accused of, you know, dancing on the none too cold grave of Jared Smith as a head coach in the Ontario Hockey League. And I promise you, that's not my intention at all. But it's, it's hard to kind of ignore that in the eight games since Smith was relieved of his duties as head coach, the Windsor Spitfires have won more games than they did in the 21 games with Smith at the helm. So whatever it was that the Windsor Spitfires needed, they're currently finding it five and three over their past eight. They were four, 16 and one under Jared Smith. Curious. Yeah. And and there's a lot that goes into that. And like, again, not to throw Smith under the bus here, there's almost always a, a coaching change bump that we see from, any team that gets it uh wins are clearly on paper 
had enough talent to be better than they were. So the blame's probably got to lie at a lot of feet there. But I think probably the biggest factor, Mike, is if you have a coach, things aren't really working out, disorganized, system isn't great. When when you make that change, suddenly everyone in that room says, okay, excuses out the door, scapegoats out the door. Now I got to step up one way or another. So I have to believe that the Windsor Spitfires are getting a bit better all-around effort from all those kids now because it's not going to be the coach the second time. So you got to kind of step up and they are. And one of those players, Oliver Peer, with a career high five point night recently as well. He's a great story in the league. And look, it's just, it's just really interesting to see what a difference it has made. One of the other things that we wanted to talk about this week, and I, I don't care if you're a fan of either the Kitchener Rangers or the Brantford Bulldogs, but if you're a fan of the Ontario hockey league, I, I think like anybody that got to see any one of the almost 130 minutes that were played between those two teams on Friday and Saturday night, Friday Kitchener hosts at the Memorial auditorium, Saturday Brantford hosts at the civic center. Both games are come from behind victories for the home teams that go into overtime. And you couldn't, if, if you had written this script as a sports movie, nobody would believe it. Kitchener trails five, one after 40 minutes on Friday night on home ice, they come back and win 6-5 in overtime. One night later in Brantford, it's 4-1 Kitchener over the Bulldogs after 40, and Brantford comes back to win it in overtime. Inject that stuff into my veins, Dan Mahar. I got the chance. Like, you'd think that coaches, games like that would drive them absolutely nuts. I had the chance to speak with both of those head coaches that weekend. UC Hocus of Kitchener, Jay McKee of Brantford, and they were pretty matter-of-fact about it all and listen I, I guess maybe that's the modern style of coaching right Burt Templeton might have been a little bit different back in the day who knows but nonetheless those games were such high caliber entertainment I hope the league can find a way like bottle it sell it that is junior hockey at its finest well I just yeah you took the words out of my mouth Mike isn't this why we love junior hockey yes These things happen and and you know a few comments from those those back-to-back games that really stood out to me is so one, you look at the Kitchen Rangers perspective on the Friday night and down 5-1 after two periods. Last season, most of the building was emptied out at that point. There wasn't much life coming back. With the new coach, you see the effort from these kids, you see the skill. Nobody left their seats. They knew that there was potential for this to happen. And sure enough, it did. And then on the Brantford side, I got to give them huge credit for that uh, come comeback win at home the next night. That was their third and three. Uh, only a second of three and three for Kitchener. So from a fatigue standpoint, Brantford had every excuse to roll over when that game was 4-1. So huge credit to them. Uh, and then the last thing I'll just add on those two games, Mike, is not only were there the comebacks, there were some beautiful goals in that game. Like some of those goals were just highlight reel. Actually, I would say uh, well over half those goals were were worthy of highlights on both sides. So just high skill, high speed, high entertainment, no quit. Absolutely everything you you love about junior hockey. So the fans that paid their $25 for a ticket for those nights got their money's worth and then some. It was the Kitchener Rangers' first loss this season, regulation or otherwise, because it did come in overtime, but when they were leading after two periods of play. 18-0-1 in that regard are the Kitchener Rangers. And teams, by the way, in the OHL, you talk about leaving after the second. If you play the odds, you you probably could leave after the second most nights because about 90% of the teams leading after two end up going on 
to win the game. But so well said, Dan. And I'm going to come back to something you alluded to about last season with the Rangers. I don't like beating dead horses, but I'm going to, you know, kick around this one just a little bit more in a sec. On the Brantford side of things, Nick Lardis, you know, I, I've loved him. I think he was my prospect of the week three times last year. I couldn't help but think, and he, a very deserving OHL player of the week honor, five goals in his past three games. And the hat trick on Saturday in Brantford. How much, I, I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but how much is, or are fans in Chicago going to love Connor Bedard and Nick Lardis on their team in a few years' time? That That's okay by me. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, what a player. And, you know, I somehow continued to fly somewhat under the radar last year in his draft year. Not the biggest guy for sure, but... If you want to talk about a guy that can make skill plays at high speed and with not much space, I'm not sure there's many in this league that do it better than Nick Lardis. And just at the key times in the game, uh, you saw his OT goal uh, on Saturday night, just again, high speed, found a seam inside the crossbar and post. Like just, you're talking off the chart skill and, and what a key piece of that Brantford team he is. We talk about how big and heavy they are maybe lacking a little dynamism offensively. Well, there you go. There you have it, Nick Lardis. So, uh, yeah, what a player. It was fun for me after more than 20 years in this league to be broadcasting a game in a new arena. Like, it was a brand new space to go after all these years. Of course, I wasn't around. I'm not quite that old when the Alexanders were in the league. But I also got a chance to look around the arena. If you haven't seen the video tour on our YouTube channel here for the OHL podcast, feel free to check it out. They've done a really nice job making the best use of the space they have look it's tiny there there are only nine rows of seats and it's just one bowl like that's it so you get nine rows per section and that's all you've got but they've done a decent enough job on the the media side to give us work you know a space that we can uh, use they've done a pretty good job with their fitness facility for the players in the building so all kinds of different things and i just think they've done a nice job and the other thing i wanted to mention when it comes to brantford We've talked about this before with the relocation, but they have one of the best owners in the league. We know Michael Andlauer just bought into, of course, the Ottawa Senators, so National Hockey League interests. And where was he on Saturday night? He was in Bradford watching the Bulldogs game. I just think organizationally top down, uh, th this is a, a really well-run uh, franchise in the Ontario Hockey League. And maybe... It's it's establishing a, a really nice bar for ownership. Yeah, well said, Mike. And and you know, having played and coached in that arena a handful of times over the years, yeah, when the OHL was first moving there, my thought was, oh, like they just don't have the space. There's a lot to be done there. But you know, I have a real soft spot for these character teams, uh, character arenas, I should say, They're like those dress rooms under the stands. You can see the girder the layout's kind of funny. The amenities aren't necessarily there, um, but. I have a real soft spot for arenas like that. So great to see them making it work. I'm hoping, Dan, that you can still hear me just fine. My headset died, and I know you were just carrying me there for a second. If anybody was watching on the YouTube channel, what's Farwell doing? My headset got the old battery low. I, I don't know why. It's it's Christmas time. I'm not there. I'm, I'm, I'm in holiday mode here, okay? Um, okay, I want to come back to what you hinted at a moment ago. And look, I, I feel like I've been 
avoiding talking about this. And we have done a pretty deep dive on one of our episodes in this first half. But because you see every game in Kitchener, no pun intended with the name of the head coach, and because I broadcast for the Rangers, I always feel like there's going to be accusations of homerism every time we talk about the hockey club. But I don't know how anymore you don't talk about the Kitchener Rangers. I, I would venture to guess that in 19 other markets, fans are noticing and wondering what the heck is going on in Kitchener. GMs and coaches, when they're pre-scouting, are looking at the way the team is playing and watching the style and how they come at you in waves. Just to put it in perspective, the Kitchener Rangers went on an eight-game winning streak. Then they lost back-to-back games. And since that time, they've gone eight games without a regulation defeat. They are 14-2-2 in their past 18 hockey games. That's bananas kind of numbers. They are 23-7-2 overall. Last year, the team lost its seventh game back on October the 30th. It did not win its 23rd game last year until February the 11th after it had fired its head coach. This Kitchener Rangers team, and I, I really don't like going back to what was a season that fell well below expectations. That's over. But my goodness, it's it's hard to not look at what this team, with all the players that graduated, is doing compared to the team that was supposed to be built to win a year ago. It's been incredible. Yeah, it, it's an absolutely fair point, Mike, because when you look at the, the numbers on the page, they jump out at you. But when you look at the culture and how that has changed, and you look at successful teams, what they need is contributions up and down the lineup, and that's contagious. And you you referenced that last game that Kitchener played in Guelph where they held on for a 3-2 win on a game where Carson Rakoff and Philip Mishar have left for the World Juniors. You look, you probably have an excuse to lose that game, and where do you get contributions from? You get a beautiful goal from Lucas Ellenis, fed from Luca Romano, couple nights before you have you have Antonio Antonino Pugliese scoring his 12th of the season early December who who saw that coming you have Cameron Mercer getting the the teddy bear goal the other night contributions from Kyle Morey in that game again it's up and down the lineup and when you're trying to look for reasons why a team is successful or a team is good in junior hockey and even in the NHL we so often look to the top two or three players and say well I you know, that's the team. It is not uh, the kitchen Rangers successful because they're having those contributions up and down the lineup. And when you can send two of the league's top couple scorers away and still hang on for a road win against a very good team based on contributions offensively from some bottom six players, there you have your answer of why this team is good. It's a different culture and it's a winning culture right now. Culture is, is huge. The Rangers just played 10 games in 17 days, went 6-2-2 two, and two through those 10. And you mentioned the bottom six. I think that the, the fourth line on this Rangers team, which has been great, and a lot of fans are really appreciating what it's been able to do, is, is a bit misleading because it is a 17, 18, and 19-year-old on that line. So when you're throwing that line out against usually a, a fourth line for the other side, you can see why this fourth line is having success. Not to take away, though, from what they've been doing and what they you would anticipate they continue doing. But uh, it's been lots of fun. I don't think we can uh, talk about the season at this point without acknowledging what a remarkable turnaround there's been in the city of Kitchener. 
For sure. And and just on that last note too, I you know how I, I don't even love labeling them the fourth line because I know when often they list the, the rosters, they're listed fourth, but in terms of minutes, utilization, et cetera, they're often, you know, third um in that raw in that uh metric. But they can go up against anyone, and that's a luxury to have in any line. So you look at the situations that you see Hocus uses them in, especially when they have a lead. Uh Hard in my mind to rec reconcile calling them a fourth line, even though that's how they're listed. If you want to know one of those GMs that must be having a difficult time figuring out what he's going to do and how he's going to do it, I would have to think it's Mike McKenzie in Kitchener for sure. All right. Uh, still to come on this episode of the OHL podcast, the World Juniors are about to get underway. And of course, we still have our prospects of the week. So do stay with us. Plenty more chatter still coming. junior invitations dan of which there are plenty of course uh gotta give a nod to the owen sound attack and their commemorative third jerseys they're going to be wearing nine times we're going to get to see them i hope we get to see them in a rangers uh, attack game in the second half because oh my paying tribute to the 100th anniversary of the owen sound grays memorial cup well done bayshore gang what a terrific jersey looks gorgeous yeah, Owen Sound does things right, don't they, Mike? Like, you look at uh, basically a, a regional team, if ever there is one in the OHL, drawing from all over. Great Bruce, uh, great fan base and, and great history there. And and on the ice, quietly, quietly, there's a team that could do some damage. Looking at World Junior Invitations, uh, 11 OHLers to Team Canada, 6 to Slovakia, 3 to the Americans. Look, I, I don't think we have to list all the players. The fans of their respective teams know who's going. And we talked a little bit last week about the politics that get involved and in some of the snubs that end up happening. I, I've kind of got the the general and, and maybe tired argument in all of this, Dan. My biggest one is Christmas is going to roll around and the eyes of the world, particularly the eyes of Canada, are finally going to be on junior hockey and not on the Toronto Maple Leafs. And it's about damn time. It, it makes me almost angry every year, to be honest with you. I, I need to let it go, I know. But we already talked on this episode about those Brantford-Kitchener games this past week and what entertainment value they offered. We know what the Ontario Hockey League is all about and how great the entertainment is. And frankly, you get some real snoozers in the NHL these days. Anyway, everybody's going to watch junior hockey. I wish it would translate into more watching junior hockey beyond the tournament at Christmas, but it is what it is. I think the time of the year really plays a part in that. I also don't love that it's a mid-season tournament and players get plucked from their teams for 9, 10, 11 games. That's a, it's a little bit disrespectful to the league teams. I know these kids want to play for their country. I'm glad they get the chance to do that, but it's almost like a penalty that you pay for building a good team in the Ontario league, the dub or the Q. I, I don't know how much I love that. And then of course there's the additional games on top of the 68 game regular season, the six game exhibition season, the playoffs that come up. Now you're throwing another a high impact tournament in the middle of all of this where you know that the games you're playing are not exactly meaningless and oh boy so 
that's kind of where I'm coming from on all of this. I know it's tired and I probably say it every year. So next year I'll just reinsert this into our podcast around this time, but want to share those thoughts as we start talking about the juniors. Yeah. You know what, Mike, everything you said is true that there's two sides to this coin, right? Uh, everyone loves the world juniors. It's a great tournament. It's a Christmas tradition, yada, yada, yada. We all love it. We all love watching it. But the other side of that coin is this. I, I I do find it irks me a little as a avid junior hockey fan and an OHL follower that those who don't ever watch these leagues don't care about them suddenly care like the world about this tournament and don't think of those things. Well, yeah, we just siphon the best players off a bunch of these teams for a huge chunk of the of the schedule right before the trade deadlines. And so these do have significant impacts on the club teams. And you talk about the, the revenue and what a boon it is to make the playoffs. And some of these teams, that might be the difference. They lost this player for this stretch. And, you know, the, those things all come into play. So, yeah, I, I definitely don't love the timing from the league standpoint, uh, from the criticality of these games that they're missing. Uh, but it's hard to argue with the quality of the product you're watching. I, I'm just with you. I, as a Habs fan who uh, the team is lucky to score more than two goals a game and it's mostly chip and cycle and the entertainment value is pretty low on most nights for $250, $300 to go buy a ticket to watch them play. And you can see this on a nightly basis for 25 bucks. I, I'm, yeah, I can't agree more. I think I, I'm probably a bit of a hypocrite in this because I'm a pretty big fan of the National Football League. I pay no attention to college football in the States, which I know is massive. But that's the thing here in Canada, especially where hockey is still the next closest thing to religion without going to church. And we already referenced, you know, Nick Lardis likely joining Connor Bedard on the roster of the Chicago Blackhawks someday. Well, you could be watching Nick Lardis play the kinds of games he did this past week in the O before you start watching him in the National Hockey League a couple to a few years from now. But that that's water under the bridge, I do suppose. Uh, which roster for you, Dan, is shaping up as as one, or maybe is that premature as we get just get into selection camps here? But, I mean, I, I like Canada's chances again this year, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you, you always have to like Canada's chances. Um, they are Canada after all. But for me, that American roster is shaping up re really well. Um, we talked about snubs, and a lot of people have asked me this week, well, how on earth can you not take Hunter Brustevich? They've got two of the most dynamic offensive defensemen they've ever had at their disposal in Seamus Casey and Lane Hudson. They've got just a wealth of talent up front. That USNTTB uh, line that blew up the league last year with uh, Perot, Will Smith, and Ryan Leonard is together. I look at that American roster and have trouble seeing anyone beating it on paper. Uh, thankfully, the games are played on the ice. I know Slovakia has uh, high hopes for their roster after a big year where they had their bronze medal moment. Um, we know Sweden's going to be in the mix with with their crew. Uh, but yeah, for me, I can't wear Canada on my sleeve like the rest of us here. But uh, that American team has to be the favorite for me. You got to like some of those Slovakian players that are just coming out of our league, right? Mashar. Misiak from Erie, Mashar, of course, from Kitchener, Dvorsky, who just came over and will now to play with Sudbury. You've got Servak Petrovsky in there as well, Jakob Kromiak, and even Kukenberg has a chance to, uh, to be a part of that team. So yeah, there's a lot of OHL content on Team Slovakia as well. Yeah, and you know what? Like being the OHL slash Habs fan that I am, Imagine if they had Uri Slavkovsky come join them, which I know a lot of those players uh, lobbied hard to, to see if there was any chance he could come and have this huge hurrah for Slovakia. But unfortunately, 
watching the last couple of weeks in Montreal, he's arguably been their best player. So I don't, I don't think that's happening, but that Erie Otter's property, Yuri Slavkovsky would have made Slovakia one heck of a, uh, a wild card, we'll call it for the world juniors. Just the final point on this. And again, it's one that I've made before, but when you talk about, you know, overlooking a guy like Hunter Brustevich, who isn't just leading all Ontario hockey league defensemen in points, but continues to run for the league lead in points. And in fact, with his, teammate away and is often line mate in Carson Rakoff for maybe, maybe Verstevich takes over the league lead in points, but you, you talk about the offensive defenseman that team USA has at its disposal. I'm not taking anything away from that, but I still believe that just take the best players, just take the best players. And if you're going to ask Hunter to Verstevich to play a little bit less offensive and a little bit more defensive. I think these are talented enough players to do that. Take the best you've got and fit them into a role as opposed to trying to build a team and plucking players that you think will play that role. Just take the best guys and tell them what you want them to do. They're the best players. That's my take on it anyway. Oh, that's my take too. So I think, is it in their evaluation that he wasn't in that mix of best players, which is a tough call to say when you've got a defenseman with over 50 points already. Um, we know the political factor comes in, of course, when they've had these players playing in the NCAA, they tend to favor those kids, the kids that stay in the US NTDP. Uh, there's lots of factors that go into it, but I'm, I'm big on that, Mike. And you know, I've had rants in the past with Team Canada not doing that. I I always believe that Team Canada, the, the track record shows that they lean heavily to the WHL for filling out that roster and, and to the chagrin of several OHL players and Quebec league players who I feel have been quite deserving. So it's, it's almost like the top end guys compete for their spots. And then they round out the roster from those leagues and Americans do the same thing with the, the college bound kids. So politics will always be a factor, but boy, would I ever like to see what you're talking about? Just run with the best players. It's going to be a lot of fun over Christmas as it always is. Okay. As we wrap things up here for another week, Dan time for our prospects of the week, who you got for us. All right, Mike. Well, I, you know what? I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to go a little homerish again. Uh, try not to do this much, but I think at this point in the season, with we talked about the stats the Kitchener Rangers are putting up, and I like to shed the light on some kids that are overlooked and kind of under the radar. And I'm going with a 19 year old this week, Mike, who who was passed over in the NHL draft. But and my guy this week, Mike, is Trent Swick. Um, I look at a guy who is getting none of the press, none of the headlines for that Kitchen Rangers team. We we talk about Rakoff and Mashar and Brustevich and and Parsons and Nett and some of these players. Well, on that top line, Carson Rakoff can owes how many of his 31 goals to goalies not being able to see past that 6-7 frame of Trent Swick. How many of those goals were created by that active stick of Trent Swick on the floor check, turning pucks over? He's got a heck of a shot when he unleashes it. So he's running at a little over a point a game right now. Just a very under-the-radar player, plays all situations, kills penalties, was out there as a lone forward and a five-on-three this week, had the two big goals this week in that game to, to warrant first star. Just an under-the-radar player, Mike, that I think is probably not getting enough attention for the league's best team right now, and that's Trent Swick. Uh, who I you love got? it. I love it. Under-the-radar is a great way to describe him, and under-appreciated or underrated shot. You mentioned it when he lets it go. Boy, oh, boy. Uh, this week, I, I couldn't help but notice, ho-hum, everything old is new again. The Ottawa 67s have climbed to the top of the Eastern Conference. So I took a good hard look at Henry Muse. I know I'm not digging deep for that one. I'm going to end up just with Muse getting my honorable mention. I think that his play over the last 10 games where he's picked up 13 points has helped the Ottawa 67s kind of 
claw their way back up and here they sit in first but i'm going to stick with another defenseman on this one and that is zane perak he's coming off a four-point game i know i've picked him before and again i'm not digging deep but how do you overlook a guy that is this dynamic a a four-point effort in a win over flint you extrapolate it back over his last 10 games pardon me just nine games he's got 18 points over those nine games so it doesn't take a genius to do the two point per game math. He is as dynamic as they come. So I'll give Muse my honorable mention, but Zane Perak, my prospect of the week. And just to round it out, because I think you did this before and it's Homerish, but I want to just acknowledge Jackson Parsons. You talk about under the radar. Look, everybody's watching this Rangers team. They're piling up wins. They've got the one, two, three players in league points. They've got the most goals scored in the Ontario Hockey League by a fairly comfortable margin still. Jackson Parsons is leading in both goals against average and save percentage in this league. And I, I think without him, it's it's a different story. No matter how many goals the team is scoring, this guy who hasn't even played a full season before this year due to injury uh, has been absolutely terrific. And I hope, I hope he's turning some heads. So I'll throw in an a honorable B mention here today as well. All, all three worthy mentions, Mike, and just just on your correct pick, great pick. Uh, it reminds me a little bit last year of the Colby Barlow run, where sometimes you just forget these guys are seventeen year old hockey players eligible for the draft because they're good every week, and you you kind of get fatigue saying, "Well, I can't pick that guy; he's in the mix every week." Um, but almost unfair to overlook them for those reasons. Same Perek could could be every other week. It feels like he could be it. So certainly not a certainly a worthy pick this week. He's going to make somebody very happy in the first round next June. That's for sure. All right. We'll find out. Is somebody getting a lump of coal in their stocking? Multiple somebodies? Will there be deals still this week? My gut tells me no, but I I guess that remains to be seen. Dan and I will be back uh, next Monday or next Tuesday with one more of these before the Christmas break. And you'll want to be listening on Friday. Oh, my gosh. Did I have fun with this guest? It's not too often we bring on to the show to tell some stories, somebody currently employed in the league, but that's what we get this time. And I'll tell you what, he is as frank and honest as anybody you'll find. He's got a tremendous backstory from having played for the team that he is currently the head coach of what it's like to play for a championship, to coach in a championship, the role of his parents in his life, his time overseas. I could go on and on. But I think you're absolutely going to love the deep dive we do with one of the head coaches in the Eastern Conference who will join us on Friday here on the OHL podcast. Yeah. Oh, he's tough. He's old school. I loved it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the entire conversation. So you get to hear it on Friday. Well, Mike, the bar you set this year with uh, Don Edwards and Bernie Nichols and some of these guys is pretty high. So this is this has been a treat all year. Well, this one will be uh, you get a, a special bit on the YouTube channel as well because he walks us out on camera just towards the end of our conversation to see something that you'll love to take a look at. So that's enough of that. I think you've probably put the pieces together who's coming, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. So you'll catch that on Friday. Dan Mahar over there on Twitter at Dan Mahar. My name, Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Please uh, give us a like, subscribe to the podcast, tell a friend about it. We're having tons of fun doing it. We love the feedback as well. Send an email anytime, ohlpodcast at rogers.com and watch for your next episode of this OHL podcast coming out on Friday.
The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.